The gospel lesson comes from the gospel according to Mark, chapter 16, beginning at verse 1. When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of James, and Salome brought spices so that they might go and anoint him. And very early on the first day of the week, when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb. They had been saying to one another, Who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance to the tomb? When they looked up, they saw that the stone, which was very large, had already been rolled back. As they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in a white robe sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. But he said to them, Do not be alarmed. You were looking for Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He has been raised. He is not here. Look, there is the place they laid him, but go. Tell his disciples and Peter that he is going ahead of you to Galilee, where you will see him, just as he told you. So they went out and fled from the tomb, for terror and amazement had seized them, and they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. Novelist Ann Patchett spoke here in our church a few years ago as a part of our book-by-book ministry. In a recent article in Harper's Magazine, Ann described the process in which she crafts a novel. She said she always starts with the ending. She always knows how she plans for her novel to end before she begins writing the narrative. But she said she does recognize that sometimes in life we don't know the ending. In February of 2020, Anne and her husband had a new house guest named Suki. They barely knew her. Anne had met Suki on a business trip, and when she learned that Suki would be coming to Nashville to receive chemo in a clinical trial, she insisted that Suki would stay at her house with her and her husband. It was meant to be only a few nights until she located a more permanent situation, but when the pandemic hit, it became clear that Suki was staying indefinitely, maybe weeks or even months. She couldn't fly home with her immune system so fragile. The treatment was successful. Who knew how this would end? The author of the Gospel of Mark took a different approach to writing, especially when it came to endings. Basically, Mark doesn't have one. In fact, his gospel story of what happened after Jesus lived and died and rose again ends so abruptly that over the years, other writers tacked on various endings. But most scholars concur today that Mark's gospel ended where we stopped reading it today without really wrapping up the story. He leaves us as the reader hanging. Now he clearly did not have my high school grammar teacher because he ends the entire gospel with a dangling preposition. The final word in Greek is gar, which is our preposition for, F. O-R. For what? Mark leaves us to wonder what the women did after they departed from the empty tomb. 
they had been told by the man inside the tomb, go to Galilee, and there you will see Jesus who is going ahead of you. But did they go? Or didn't they? Did they see him there or not? Literally, the text reads, as Mark wrote it in Greek, and to no one, anything they told. They were scared, you see, for... The other Gospels elaborate on Mark's bare-bones reading of this very first Easter morning. Now, they all echo Mark's basic story that it was the women who went to the cemetery. So many people had loved him, had followed him, had pledged their lives to him, but only a handful of women come that morning to the cemetery with spices and oil to tend to his body. Now, Matthew adds in an earthquake and lightning to mark the drama and the gravity of the day. Mark, Luke, I mean, adds in an angel in dazzling clothes. John's version of Easter morning has the risen Christ conversing with Mary. Now, wouldn't it really make a better drama to add in some of the other appearances of Jesus to make sure that we as Mark's readers know this is real? Jesus appearing to the disciples behind locked doors where Thomas touches the nail prints. That would work. Or Jesus eating fish and bread with them on the road to Emmaus and talking about the scriptures. That's powerful. What about just some final words from Jesus before he ascends into heaven on the clouds? But Mark he just gives us the empty tomb with a stone that's been rolled away and a man sitting there announcing, oh, he, he's not here. He's gone on ahead of you. Galilee, go on, go. Tell the disciples, and you get there, you'll, you'll see him. It isn't much, really. It's hardly worthy of a tramp, trumpet fanfare. One scholar says that in Mark, the resurrection is more implied than anything. We never really see the body of Jesus raised up. Fred Craddock says in his dry wit, this is no way to do a resurrection. But Mark's telling of Easter, I think at least, I think it has its own beauty its own power. Of the four versions of Easter morning found in the Gospels, Mark's version is, is actually my favorite. It just feels right to me. It's, it's the version that feels most authentic, most real. Rather than pounding a fist of certainty, Mark paints a picture of ambiguity. Mark is a man of few words, and he invites me to come into the story and wander around a bit. Instead of giving us pat answers, Mark summons us on a journey of discovery. I remember last April, a year ago now, when the weather was just beginning to warm up and all the neighbors came out to visit on the sidewalk, and my neighbor across the street 
she came out with her two young sons and she explained that she and her husband were no longer traveling, no longer work, working from their offices, both working from home, both boys, their schools were closed, they were all at home. And she said, yeah, on the first day that we all came home, I put a chart with a magnet up on our refrigerator and I started counting down the days, a slash mark each day, to see how long it would take until we would get back to normal. And then she laughed and she said, I, I realize now we have no idea how this will end. And so I took down the refrigerator chart and I put it in the trash. Sometimes that's how life is. We're, we're not quite sure how it will end. And I really like that Mark captures this for us in the way he writes the Easter story. Though Mark is understated, he does offer us a bit of encouragement about how to face the unknown future. Go to Galilee, and there you will see Jesus. In some Gospels, the challenge of Easter is to believe something that seems impossible to believe, that a man who is dead is alive again, but Mark has a different focus. Mark doesn't ask us to suspend reason. Mark invites us. Mark invites us to go. Mark offers us a promise. There, you will see him. Why does he send them to Galilee? Galilee is less a statement of geography than a statement of reality. Galilee refers to the place of real life, the place where they had all met Jesus, where he taught and healed and called them to originally follow, where he ate with sinners and multiplied the loaves for a picnic for 5,000. Galilee, it's the classroom at Shawnee Mission East. It's the boardroom at the law firm downtown. It's the city council chambers. It's the grocery store. It's the soccer field. It's the bedroom where you read to your kids a good night story. Galilee is where real life unfolds. The text leaves us hanging, not knowing the ending, but sending us out. Go to Galilee. The women are not sure what to do. They are seized with amazement and terror. Or in Greek, they were seized with trauma and ecstasy. Good news! He's risen! He's not here. Frightening news. You must go. Go! New Testament scholar Chad Meyer says that for Mark, resurrection is not the final answer. But the final question, will we go? Will we follow? Will we follow this risen one named Jesus? I realize that I have told some of you this story in kind of a humorous way, but today I tell it in a more serious light. When I was 27 years old, Dave and I went to this idyllic mountain chalet for dinner. And right at the beginning of the dinner, he reached out across the table and he took my hand and he, he asked me to marry him. And I was seized with amazement and terror. Amazed because, of course, I loved him and what an amazing question, but terrified 
because I wasn't yet ready. I had no idea if I was prepared to be a stepmother of two teenagers. I wasn't sure about this idea of marrying someone 16 years my senior. I just wasn't sure. And so I said, can I get back to you on that? And he said, of course. And for two whole years, that very important question hung in the air between us. Ambiguity and uncertainty filled the cracks between our dates. We just didn't know what the ending would be, a long courtship that would end up in a heartbreak of a breakup, or a marriage and a long life together. Sometimes we would tease each other and say, well, huh, there's that question. And two years later, I said yes, and no one needed to restate the question. There are times in life when we just do not know. And it makes me wonder how long it took those women at the tomb to decide if they would go ahead to Galilee. For many, taking that leap of faith into an unknown future is much more risky than the one I just described. I think particularly about the many, many young people I met, teenagers, 14, 15, 16, who were living in the refugee camps in Italy where I volunteered. They had been told by their families to go and seek a new life, to flee the persecution of the, per of the repressive governments that were limiting their opportunities to get an education. They had been told by their families to go and find safe passage to a land where they could study and, and develop a trade. For them, going meant risking their lives on rickety boats where friends had drowned. Some of them were imprisoned and abused along the way. They knew the terror of the journey and the amazement of the possibility of new life. And none of them, when they set out from their homes, knew how it would end. But by some miracle, they found energy and hope to seek a new life. Frederick Beekner describes resurrection as that moment when we are given our lives back again by God. In Mark's telling of Easter, God gives us our lives again. God gives us fresh new life by inviting us to go and promising us that it is Jesus who goes before us. The women at the tomb respond with awe, that, that twin feeling of both amazement and terror for what God promises them is not an easy road, but rather a cross and companionship. No wonder no wonder, Mark tells us, those women hesitate. Jennifer Doudna is the biochemist who won the Nobel Prize in chemistry in 2020. She became interested in science as a little girl, but back then, women didn't really go into science, so that path as a career did not seem promising. In college, Jennifer studdled, struggled with her chemistry class not just with the exams, but with understanding the material 
and one day she almost switched her major to French. But by some miracle, Jennifer persisted and became a world-class scientist. And recently, she and her team pioneered this miraculous science of editing the genetic code of human life, which opens the doorway for us to treat genetic diseases like muscular dystrophy and infectious diseases like COVID-19 and even cancer. Now it seems we are rewriting the story of life, of the genetic code. And I can't quite get the science, but what I know is that Mark would love this because it's the very thing Mark invites us to do to write the ending. Mark does not coerce us into becoming believers. Mark summons us to go into the reality of this world and live as those who reveal that God is alive in the world. If he is risen, then our lives will change the code. Our daily actions will reveal his life, his compassion, his love, his grace. Ann Patchett, the novelist, and her unexpected houseguest, Suki, barely knew each other at the beginning. Three months passed. The pandemic that made them forced roommates also enabled them to discover kind of a magical friendship. They both loved yoga and they got up every day and practiced yoga. They both turned out to be vegetarian and so every night they chopped vegetables in the kitchen. They were both artists, artists who didn't have time for their art because they were always traveling and doing their business. And so during those long three months, Anne wrote, Suki painted, and then they discovered that this was the kind of friendship that just rarely comes along. And after three months, Suki said, it's time for me to go home to my family in California. I can now get the medical treatment just 20 minutes from my home in San Diego. I can fly home on a plane where I will remain in quarantine. But she looked at her friend Anne and said, I don't want to go. The fact that you and your husband want me here in your home, that you love me, that you believe in me, it's made me into a new person. It's made me believe in myself. And I don't want to give that up. And Anne did not want Suki to leave. Through this strange turn of events, Anne had rediscovered some deep sense of God's presence that she first discovered in childhood. Anne writes, the two of us needed the same thing, someone who could see us as our best and complete selves. The word she used to describe what was happening, astonishing, astonishing, amazing, and also terrifying. Because as these friends said goodbye to one another through their tears at the airport, both of them realized that this could be the last time they would ever see one another. The ending, it was yet unknown. The love was absolutely rock-solid certain. And that's where Mark leaves us, with the promise. Jesus, he's up ahead of you in Galilee, 
Will you go?' 